Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'd like to begin by reminding you of the question I asked earlier. Do you curse? Now, I don't mean using any number of four-letter words to express your displeasure with any other person over any number of minor annoyances, such as, you know, cursing at another driver in the privacy of your own car for cutting you off in rush hour traffic, maybe cursing under your breath at a coworker for making your job more difficult, or even cursing quite openly at someone who keeps putting the robber on your wheat space in Settlers of Catan. No, I mean actually using your words to evoke a harmful effect against another person. You know, instead of simply wishing ill towards another person, have you ever felt such a powerful anger that the words coming out of your mouth felt like they could actually have really physically hurt another person? Probably not. I mean, none of us are sorcerers. And sure, we can hurt another person's feelings, when we use curse words, uh, but we really aren't causing them actual harm. So when we find ourselves cursing, you know, we mostly just hope that they'll maybe spill their coffee on their favorite shirt or maybe the state trooper will pull them over. But it's not like we wish them serious harm. But Jesus is very clear in Matthew 5.22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whether or not we actually can cause harm with our words, God still considers words spoken in anger to be murderous, as if we actually were cursing people. So in God's eyes, there really is no difference between wishing ill intent on another person and actually hurting them. Doing either makes you guilty in God's eyes of the sin of murder. And the same thing can actually apply to many other sins. If you look at another woman or man other than your spouse with lustful intent, according to Jesus, you've committed adultery. In our catechism, when it talks about uh, bearing false witness, it's not enough just to not lie about a neighbor, but unless you speak kindly of your neighbor at every opportunity, well, you're actually bearing false witness. So the law of God really doesn't leave us any room to budge. We either keep the entire law of God or we are transgressors against this law. But let's face it, we get this. We're Lutherans. We get this very well. And, you know, we're not ashamed to say that we're saved by faith alone. Actually, it's kind of the thing that we're pretty famous for. Not only that, but uh, we don't have admitting uh, problems admitting that we are both saint and sinner at the same time. We know that we cannot attain salvation by keeping the law, but only by grace through faith. The Galatians, well, they didn't get this at all. They were convinced by those who Paul only refers to in our reading, uh, a little bit before our reading, as false brothers, uh, that grace wasn't enough for them. When we get to the beginning of our reading, Paul actually is kind of perplexed at how they could have gotten the gospel so wrong. Even Paul himself, a Jew by birth, to get that works of the law had no part in his salvation. Paul, a zealous Jew, at one time told them that their works had nothing to do with salvation before their very eyes. But the Galatians seemed to not have gotten it. 
So when Paul says, by works of the law, no one will be justified, you know, we could probably understand that if Paul were speaking these words to the Galatians in person, he might have been yelling and screaming at them, pulling hair. It seems so clear to Paul that the, for the Galatians to have thought otherwise must have been the result of witchcraft. How could the Galatians, who heard Paul proclaim the gospel of Christ, turn towards the works of their flesh when they already had witnessed the work of the spirit in their lives? What spell was under them to cause them to give up free grace? Well, Paul tells us that it's a curse. Not just that, but it's a curse that the Galatians have put on themselves. As Paul quotes from Deuteronomy, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The Galatians just couldn't accept that their salvation had so little to do with their own works. But really, how is this our problem? We get it. Those of you who have been Lutherans for your whole lives, more so. We are saved by faith alone. Yet it remains to be said, before we cast too much judgment on these bewitched Galatians, well, maybe we should remember what Paul says in Galatians 2. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Even though we seem to get that our works have nothing to do with salvation, even when we are set right by God and justified, we actually still find ways to let sin creep back into our lives. See, when we let our murderous, lustful, or any unkind thoughts guide our actions, we actually end up stepping outside of the place that God puts us when we're justified. We end up walking on our own way instead of God's way. And you know, when you think about it, it makes sense that if, like PJ talked about last week, if justification is turning us the right way, then what is sin but putting us off of that right path that God has set us on. Whether or not we're leaning on our own works or still caught in any particular sin, we are acting in a way that ultimately makes us accountable for the entire law of God. If you think about it, the curse of the law that the Galatians are under is a curse that we are still under. And it leaves us wondering What hope is there for the Galatians, first of all, who heard the gospel directly from Paul? And what hope is there for us, especially when we find ourselves transgressing against God's command? Paul makes it pretty clear. That hope is Jesus. See, Jesus didn't only abide by all the things written in the book of the law. Paul tells us that Jesus did something much greater. He cursed himself. Or at least this is what Paul seems to imply when he quotes an extremely obscure obscure passage in Deuteronomy. You know, just in case you were wondering if uh, Paul was a real Jew or not. uh, This passage comes from only one phrase in Deuteronomy 21-23. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And uh, the context really... 
the rest of the verse is describing what you do with a body after it's hung, and that's bury it. So it's just a side note saying that the person who is hung is cursed. So, you know, Paul doesn't even use the entire verse, which if I did that in my exegetical classes, I'd get an F. But he does make the point that the cross isn't just an unfair punishment for Jesus. Paul tells us that by suffering on the cross, Christ was enduring punishment. And even weirder, uh, Jesus, who said that he and the Father, who were one, well, his Father didn't treat him as his son on the cross. He treated Jesus as a common, accursed criminal. It left Christ utterly and completely alone. And I don't think we can understand how it is possible for Jesus and his Father, who were inseparable, to be in disunion. Not too long ago, we talked about a trinity in unity and a unity in trinity, but... Where is that here? Well, that's something I can't answer. All that we know is what happens. And we know that as Christ hung alone on the cross, all he could do was cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then it was finished. The curse was finished. The curse of the law, the curse of Adam from the fall, and the curse of sin and death were utterly destroyed in three days because Christ rose from the dead. And really, this is what Paul means. I mean, there's nothing more for us to add to this story, literally. In regards to our salvation, we can't do anything else. If we think we can by our own works, well, why did Christ have to die? So now we can know that the resurrection Jesus experienced, it will be the same resurrection that we experience. Even though for now we live in a world still populated by sin. But Paul gives us a little hint that, you know, Christ has this under control as well. Because instead of receiving God's curse now, we actually receive God's blessings freely and daily. Paul tells us directly that we receive the Spirit by faith. This Holy Spirit actually gives us the power to believe and to produce good works. Even the law which before was a curse for us, is now a blessing that works to enrich our lives. And we receive many other gifts as well, many other blessings. We receive one baptism, one sign that we are completely forgiven. We receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. We receive Jesus Christ's body and blood. All of these are free gifts. And this is what Paul means. So as you continue through Galatians in the coming weeks, you'll actually learn a little bit more about how the Galatians were able to turn away from 
Paul's uh, most clear gospel. And you'll also hear some of Paul's most passionate words. But for now, I think we can all take comfort in knowing that our lives are in God's hands. And this is only because we know that we are righteous in Christ and that we live by faith. Amen.